right, we're glad to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up First Chronicles, chapter number 29, or 21, rather. First Chronicles, chapter number 21. First Chronicles, chapter 21. And as you're turning there, we're starting a new series that uh, I want to uh, look at, and I want us to consider uh, the inner man. And you say, well, the inner man, what is that? Well, that's the person that is inside of you. You know, a lot of times, uh, and I appreciate this, we dress up the outside. And, uh, and by the way, you look sharp this morning, all right? I'm glad to see. I'm glad you dress up the outside. I'm glad that you uh, take the time to fix your hair and, and to brush your teeth and to do all of those things. I'm glad that, that you guys didn't roll out of bed and come to church. Uh, I really am. Um, and you're probably glad that I didn't just roll out of bed and come to church, amen? Could you imagine? Uh, well, you could. You've been to Walmart, amen? Uh, I, I heard a preacher say this week, he said, man, well, anyway, uh, I'm glad you're, you're here and I'm glad you're dressed. And I'm glad that you take care of your outer man, all right? I, I do think that is important. Uh, but, but if we take care of only the outer man and we neglect the inner man, then we will have a spiritual problem. Matter of fact, in the Christian realm, uh, you can take such good care of the outer man and neglect the inner man to the point that we become hypocritical in all reality. And, uh, and I, I believe the inner man is important. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.16 uh, that, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's what we want. We want to, as a church, uh, and, and I as a, a preacher and teacher of the word of God, I want that we should be strengthened in the inner man. I believe there's a lot of importance to that. And, uh, and, and so we're going to look at that this morning. And before we get into our, our lesson, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. God, thank you again for the opportunity that we have to gather at your house around your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. Father, those that are here, those that are listening by way of phone or uh, internet or, or either way, Father, that people are tuned in, we, we appreciate them uh, taking the time to be here and to listen. And God, I pray that you would uh, speak to each and every heart. And God, may our inner man be strengthened this morning from your word. And we'll thank you for that. And God, will give you the uh, honor and praise for all that is said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we think about this idea, I want us to think about this, um, that we, we all have a few things in common. Uh, and there's no doubt about that. For one thing, we are all sitting in the same building uh, while I'm standing in your setting. But we're all in the same building. Uh, we all sang the, sang the uh, same songs this morning. And I hope you sang out. And uh, boy, it's good to praise the Lord through song. And, uh, and maybe you're like, well, man, I don't sing very well. Uh, hey, just, I don't sing very well either, but just belt it out for the Lord. Amen. Uh, sing to the Lord with all your heart and, uh, and, and just praise the Lord with your voice. Uh, and that'll help you feel good. We sang the songs this morning. But one of the things that we all have in common that none of us like, well, most I would assume none of us like, is that we're all sinners. And, and we don't like that. And I tell you what, it's not just 
a lot of times we look at sin and we say, well, uh, that guy, he's a sinner because he does this. I mean, it's real obvious. But you know what? Even Christians sitting in the pew as good people who are faithful to church, we still have sin. Uh, and we struggle with that. And it sins, yeah, it might not be outwardly and blatant and it might not be obvious to, to anyone or, or uh, to everyone, but there are a lot of sh sins that are, that are problematic uh, for us on the inner side. And that would be like pride or covetousness or lust or uh, bitterness or wrong thoughts or uh, not forgiving others or anger or all of those. I mean, there's so many uh, that, that maybe they're not visible to the outside, but they, they are within us. And so that's kind of the idea of what we need to look at. And, uh, and if we don't see ourselves as sinners, uh, then there would be no need to be saved. Uh, before we're ever born again, uh, listen, we understand, we realize, well, I'm a sinner. That's why I need to be saved. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what that means is... Uh, you have a, uh, a bow and arrow, and you have a target way over here. And, uh, and you're wanting to shoot for the dead center for the bullseye. And, uh, and you step back, and, and you pull your arrow back, and you let that thing fly, and it goes. And, and, and instead of hitting the bullseye or even hitting the target, that arrow would fall short. In other words, perfection would be in that bullseye, but uh, falling short would mean we don't arrive. We don't, even make, we don't even make it on the target. And the fact of the matter is, not one single solitary person on the face of the earth measures up to the perfection that God has. There's just no way to, 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 to arrive to God's perfection. And that's why we need to be born again, and that's why we need to be saved. And, and that's why Jesus Christ came to the world, and that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. You know, a lot of people, uh, I, talking with people, a lot of people know that Jesus died on the cross. A lot of people know that Jesus came to the earth. A lot of people will say, well, Jesus is God. They will tell me all of that. But when it comes down to salvation, they're, they're not sure, and, and they think, well, you know, I'm, I'm earning my way to heaven. Well, if we could earn our way to heaven, then why did Jesus come and die on the cross? There wouldn't be any need for that. There wouldn't be any reason for Jesus to die on the cross if we could earn our way to heaven. The fact of the matter is that we cannot earn our way to heaven. It's not possible. And Jesus came and he died on the cross uh, to be our substitute, to take our sin upon himself and to take uh, our place. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He lived a sinless life, an absolutely perfect life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve for our sin is death. Jesus had no sin, so he didn't deserve death. But he died in our place so that you and I could be saved and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says later in Romans 10, 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, you, listen, you can be saved by simply putting your faith and trust completely and wholly in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. And after you've done that, if you've done that, most of us here have, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as, as your own personal Savior, listen, uh, we will still struggle with sin. 
Uh, but that will give us the inner man, that will give us the Spirit of God that will help us to fight against that sin. But the fact of the matter is we'll still struggle with uh, bitterness. We'll still struggle with covetousness. We'll still struggle with uh, lust or uh, unforgiveness or anger or other issues in our life that maybe other people can't see. Uh, but, but may God help us as we look at the lesson this morning and think about this idea of strengthening the inner man. Now, the Bible gives us a couple warnings. I know you're there in 1 Chronicles 21. Just hold your spot there. We will get there. Uh, but I got a couple verses I just want you can note down. Hebrews 4, 7 says this, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. There's really two responses to hearing the word of God. When the word of God is given, uh, whether it's preached or taught or uh, even read in your own home, there's really two responses to that, uh, to that, to the word of God and to the voice of God. One is you can harden your heart and you can say, "I'm not going to do that." And 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 he says there in Hebrews, it was verse four and chapter four and verse seven that I read uh, that today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Don't become hard-hearted, uh, but, but keep your heart tender to the voice of God. And allow God to speak to your heart, and allow God to influence your life, and allow God to move in your life. Uh, David, when he had, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, uh, he wrote the psalm, Psalm number 51, and, and verse number 1, he cries out to God and he says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. And that's the second response that we can have uh, to the word of God is that the first one would be, well, I'm going to harden my heart or I'm not going to do that. And listen, even if you say maybe later, that's saying no. Because there's no guarantee God will speak to your heart again. Um, God speaks at the moment the word is given, and, and many times uh, if we don't act now, uh, listen, then, then you walk out the doors and you know what, it's gone. Then you're thinking about this and you're thinking about that, and, and you won't think about God again until the next time the word of God is open. So don't harden your hearts, but be like David, uh, be tender hearted, be open to the word of God. And we're going to look at David this morning, uh, not the sin with Bathsheba, but we're going to look at a different part of David's life. But David cried out and asked for forgiveness. And listen, that's the, that's the other response there is. Really, there's uh, the response to God and saying, God, I want to yield myself to you and I want to be tender hearted and I want to be open to what you have in my life. And that would be the opposite of being hard hearted. This morning in 1 Chronicles chapter number 21, 1 Chronicles chapter number 21, and verse number 1, we'll start there, and, and I would love to read the whole chapter, but for sake of time we will not, though we will probably look at most of the chapter. We'll just read the first few verses here. The Bible says in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse number 1, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord, the king, 
Are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth the Lord require this? Why doth my Lord require this thing? Notice that's a little L. He's talking about David. Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and an hundred thousand men that drew sword. And Judah was fourscore, threescore, and ten thousand men that drew sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And let's stop right there. And, uh, and let's look at our text this morning as we think about this idea of strengthening the inner man. And, and I want you to notice that uh, David is often referred to in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Now, David was not perfect. Uh, we know that. Matter of fact, uh, probably one of the most uh, well-known sins of David is that of Bathsheba when he committed adultery. There was far more than adultery he committed because there was lying, there was murdering, there was deception, there was cover-up. There was a whole lot that, that goes into that sin. But uh, David is often referred to af, uh, af, in the Scripture as a man after God's own heart. And David by no means was perfect, but David was sensitive to God. And when God did speak to David, David responded. He allowed the Spirit of God to touch his heart, and he changed his heart. And he said, God, forgive me, I am wrong. As we saw even in our text this morning, uh, that, that, yeah, he can be kind of stubborn. And I want you to notice uh, this idea here in, our, in the verses that we read. I want you to notice the rebellion of David. Now, I have, to, I have to address this idea. Uh, numbering of the people seems so innocent. They're, they're certainly true. Um, you know, there's, is it wrong to count? You know what? We, we count in, the, uh, in our church. We count attendance every time, and, and we're like, you know, and, and I, I log all that, and I got little charts and graphs, and I keep track of all of that. Why? Because uh, I, it's interesting. It's helpful to know that stuff. And it's not wrong. To, there's, there's no commandment in the Bible that says, thou shalt not count people. It's not a black and white. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, there's nothing wrong with counting. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says uh, in the New Testament, it gives us principles for being a good steward of what God has given us. And so there's reason that, to count, and there's reason to know those things. And I don't understand, and the Bible does not give us a clear directive into why this was a sin for David. But I have to believe that God had clearly laid it out to David do not count Israel. And the reason I know that is because of this chapter. Now, I don't know what all went into it. I don't know the conversation that David had with God and God had with David. I don't know how God had revealed it to David. But for whatever reason, God had made it abundantly clear to David that he was not to number Israel. 
You can speculate all day long as to why and what and this and that, but we don't really know. And I'm sure there's some good speculation out there. I'm not against that. Uh, but I just suffice it to understand uh, that it all is speculation because God does not definitively tell us why it was wrong and it was sin for David, but he does tell us it was sin for David. Because the thing that, that David did displeased the Lord. That's very clear in Scripture. And so we understand that it was a sin, though we may not understand why and though we may not understand all the ins and outs of it, we can draw a conclusion from Scripture that it was most certainly a sin for David. But the second thing I want you to notice about the rebellion of David is that it started in his thoughts. Look at what it says there in verse number 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now there's two things in this verse I want you to notice. First and foremost is that Satan was provoking David. And listen, my friend, you would be um, in error to think that, hey, Satan uh, does not try and tempt you. Matter of fact, the Bible uh, says that, hey, he is a tempter. Uh, and that he does try and cause men to fall. And he does try and cause uh, people to sin. And listen, uh, there is true and clear temptation. Now, he doesn't always use the same means. Uh, he uses different means. And you know what? Uh, for different people, he uses different things. Some people are more tempted by one thing. Some people are tempted by other things. Whatever the temptation is, uh, he's going to use the right thing. I heard a preacher say one time, he said... Um, he said, just like fish, you know, certain fish bite on this, certain fish bite on that. And you don't use this kind of bait to try and catch that kind of fish because you're not going to catch that fish. And Satan is well aware of who we are and what our uh, temptations are. And, and he knows us just as well as you know yourself uh, because uh, he's not all-knowing, uh, but he's been around a long time and he's observed enough people. You know, if you spend enough time watching people, you can kind of pretty much track things. And it's pretty simple to figure out if you just watch a track record. And so Satan certainly is out there and he's certainly provoking and he's certainly tempting people that they would sin against God. By the way, this is nothing new. Okay, he did it for David. Uh, you know what? We can all think of another place he did it way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You know what he did? He twisted scripture and he said, he told Eve, he said, hey, look at the fruit. Doesn't it look good? You know what that is? That's the lust of the eye. Man, you ever look at stuff? You ever see those, those apples? And man, they are beautiful. They're red. They show them on all the billboards. They show them in the commercials or whatever. And, and they're red. And then you buy a sack of apples. They never look like that. You know why that is? Because they're only going to take the very best and they're going to polish it up. And you know what? They... Photoshop it. You know what that means? They change the picture. They make it look better than it actually is. Listen, that's what Satan does. He'll take, he'll take something that, that it, it, and he'll make it seem so wonderful. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He said, listen, uh, look at the fruit. Doesn't it look good? And, and isn't it tempting? And, and he tempted Eve, and Eve ate of that fruit, and then she gave to, uh, to Adam, and Adam also ate of that fruit, and they sinned against God. And listen, it's been going on since the Garden of Eden. It happened in David's day, and it's happening in our day. 
because he's a master deceiver, he's a master tempter, he has not stopped since the beginning of time tempting man, and he knows how to push the right buttons, and he knows the right bait to use, and he knows how to tempt people. And so Satan is tempting David. I want you to notice this. It was kind of born in the thought of David. Can I say this this morning? We need to be careful of the thoughts that we think. Now, I've heard it since I was little. You know, you, can, you can't stop a, a bird from landing in your tree, but you can keep him from making a nest there. And I didn't understand that for the longest time. I thought, what in the world is that? was he talking about? You know what that means? Sometimes thoughts come through your mind. <clears throat> and listen, you might have to uh, shake them out and change your thoughts and say, you know, uh, God loves me, and God cares about me, and God doesn't want me to uh, do foolishly, and God wants me to live right. And you can keep that thought from rolling around your head and developing into further things that it should not develop into. Birds might land in your tree, but you can keep them from making a nest there. The Bible would give us warning about that in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Uh, Philippians 4, 8, the Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, he says at the last part, think on these things. What occupies our thoughts is very important. Listen, we live in a day and age where... The world has far more reach into every one of our lives than it used to. We used to, it used to be, we go way back. It used to be your home was your sanctuary. There was no TV, there was no radio, there was no television. And, and what was in your home was just what you permitted in your home. If somebody came, you could decide, I'm sorry, we're... We're not going to have you into my home. And you could send them down the road. Now, man, radio is almost obsolete. Radio comes into our house. TV comes into our house. Internet comes into our house. It doesn't just come in our house. We have it on our phone, and it goes everywhere with us. And we're like, well, we got it here. And people can call us and text us have availability of the World Wide Web every single day and sometimes even more than what we want and sometimes even more than we're even interested in. And what I'm saying is uh, that, listen, that can be used as a tool of Satan to continually pound the Christian with the worldly philosophies and with worldly temptations and with worldly stuff that is constantly being bombarded into our life. And our thoughts, we need to be careful that we have clean thoughts. We need to be careful that we have thoughts that are right thoughts. And the world's philosophy is constantly pounded into us. Listen, oh, that the Word of God would be poured into our life like the world is poured into our life. But in reality, it's just not. And we need to be so careful that our thoughts do not become corrupted 
with the temptations of the world and the temptations of the devil. And the Bible would tell us uh, that we need to be careful. Uh, it says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And he certainly has devices that he used. Listen, I want you to see here not only David's thoughts uh, that, were, that were wrong and that, that uh, he was tempted in his thought life, but I want you to see his trespass in verses 2 and 3. We already read it, so for sake of time, we will not. But David, he goes to Joab. Joab was the captain, his, his right-hand man, if I could say, uh, the second in the kingdom. He was in charge of all the armies. And, uh, and it's interesting to study the life of Joab. But he goes to Joab, and he says, Joab, I want you to go number the people. And it went from a thought to a command to an action. So we're going to do this. And so he told Joab, go number the people. I love Joab. I love Joab's response in, in verse number three there. Uh, listen, David had a voice of reason in Joab. Joab said in verse three, he said, don't do it. Why would you do that? You know that, uh, listen, that's not pleasing to God. And whatever it was, however it was that God revealed it to David, it was obvious to Joab as well. Maybe David shared it with Joab. I don't know. Maybe it was a public thing and, and, and everyone knew of it. Or maybe David's inner circle knew of it. I don't know how they knew. But I do know this, that Joab was, was a voice of reason to David saying, listen, don't do that. You don't want to go against God. Listen, God, God multiplies his people and he makes it more uh, than, than what we really are. And, and you don't want to mess things up. Don't number the people. Listen, oh, that we all would have friends like that, that would speak reason and speak truth to us and that would uh, help guide our life. And, and even when we are wrong, that would try and correct us and try and tell us, listen, you shouldn't do that, or that's not the right way. And, and listen, so many times friends tend to drag people away from God. We need friends that are going to point us to God. We need friends that are willing to tell us, hey, when we are wrong and when we are thinking incorrectly, that will straighten us out and help point us in the right direction. Nevertheless, even though uh, Job, Joab tried to point David in the right direction and tried to advise him, and David said, we're going to do this. And he sent Joab out to number the people. So Joab went out and he numbered the people there, and, and, and it certainly was a sin as we see and we can see the absolute rebellion of David that he said he was warned. Uh, that Obviously it was clear God had told him, don't do it. And then he was warned by Joab, don't do it. Uh, but we see the temptation, we see his thought life, and we see that he decided, hey, I'm going to do this. And he rebelled against what God had clearly said, do not do. Then go with me to verse number 7. And the Bible says in verse number 7, And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. I want you to notice in that God started immediately punishing Israel. And I want you to notice as well that David, we can see David's repentance in these verses. We see David's rebellion in the first part. We see David's repentance in the second part. I want you to notice in verse number 8, he acknowledged his sin. You know, 
he recognized God's hand of punishment immediately. God sends punishment and David immediately recognizes the hand of God on Israel. You know, I'm amazed sometimes because people do not recognize the punishing hand of God. And listen, not everything that happens is a punishment from God. I have to say that up front. But listen, when it is, you ought to know it and recognize it. When anything comes into your life and, it, and it's a hardship and a difficulty, the first question you ought to ask is, God, am I wrong? Am I doing something wrong? Do I need to fix my life? Is there something that I'm rebelling against you? Is there some reason that this is coming through? And listen, if your heart is clean before God and you're very clear that, hey, that is a definitive no, then it could be God's trying to build your faith or do something else with you. But that is one of the first things that we need to recognize and look at and say, hey, God, is it me? Have I done something wrong? It's a punishment from you. And David automatically recognizes he didn't have to ask, God, have I done something wrong? Because he knew immediately, I've sinned against God. I went against what God told me not to do. And nine times out of ten, people know in their heart, but they often do not want to acknowledge that fact. And David knew that, and he not only knew it, but he acknowledged his sin, and he repented there in that verse, and he cried out to God. Listen, when we refuse to acknowledge our wrong or our sin, it just causes worse problems. I have to laugh, and I, I have to think it's funny, and I, I don't know, I, I, funny not in a hilarious sense, but odd. As I look at the U.S. and I look at sometimes things that, go, that are going on, and, and I see uh, things like, a hurricane that takes place, and I see wildfires that take place. And, and you know what? Oftentimes, not always, but many, many times, they take place in some of the most wicked places that shake their fist at God. And it's like God saying, can you hear me now? Are you listening? Hey, I, I'm sent a hurricane. I sent a wildfire. I'll send some, uh, some tragedy into your area. And, and it's like, they still will not listen to God. They still will not acknowledge that God is trying to speak to them. And, and as Christians, listen, we should not be like that. We shouldn't harden our hearts, but we should be receptive to God as David was and say, God, uh, I need to fix this, and I apologize for I'm wrong. Uh, and I'm glad that the Bible says this in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a blessing as a Christian. That, hey, when God convicts us, that, that we can go to God in prayer. We see that he acknowledges his sin. I want you to notice as well that he accepts the consequences. Look at verses 9 and 10. The Bible says here, And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, Choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. And so God gives David three choices. He says, you pick what you want. Uh, these are the consequences for your action. Uh, and so David picks one of them. And, and, uh, and, and what happens is uh, there's a plague sent on Israel and, and people start to die in Israel uh, for David's fault for numbering the people. And, and we find that God sends a consequence for the sin of David. And I want you to understand, you can note this down. We don't have time for sake of time. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12, 
by the way, Hebrews chapter 12 deals with uh, the punishment for the Christian. And listen, I want you to understand, God is not setting up in heaven saying, man, I can't wait uh, till they mess up and, man, I'm going to strike them. I mean, most fathers are not like that with their children. I don't sit around waiting for my children to mess up so that I can punish them. I don't enjoy punishing them. I love my children. I don't, I don't, it's, no, it's not a joyous thing, and that's what the Bible says. Uh, though our, our, our fathers in this world punish us, it's not a joyous thing, uh, but a necessary thing because we mess up. And God's not just sitting around waiting for you to mess up so that he can, boom, slap a, a bolt of lightning on your head. He's not waiting for that, but it happens. And we do mess up, and we do need correction, and we do need punishment. And so God punishes uh, David, and he sends a punishment. And we find uh, in verse number 16 that David uh, takes the full responsibility and blame on himself, and he asks God to hold the punishment in Israel. He comes up to a guy in, in verses 14 uh, where, where the angel of the Lord is standing at, at the, the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. In verse number 16, and David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. You know what he did? He was repentative, but he cried out unto God. And he took the responsibility on himself. We don't have to see, we don't have time to look at, but the remembrance of David and the fact that David uh, had to offer a sacrifice. The Bible says that he came on the floor of, uh, of Ornan, a threshing floor there. And Ornan says, listen, I will give you the threshing floor and all of this property so that you can offer a sacrifice. You know what David says? No, I'm not going to take it. I will buy it from you. I'm not going to take your free land. I'm not going to allow you to pay for my sins and my mistake. Uh, I'm going to build this altar and I will pay you. And Bible says that he gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold. It was a costly sacrifice. It cost David something. Listen, it, it'd be good for us to remember that sin will always cost you something. And it cost David the sacrifice uh, of being able to purchase that land and then being able to uh, offer a sacrifice. And listen, uh, the sacrifice uh, was a sacrifice of, of blood offering. And listen, Jesus Christ shed his precious blood for you and I. That was a costly sacrifice. Well, it doesn't necessarily cost us, but listen, Jesus shed his own precious blood on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be saved, and it is a costly sacrifice. It was a personal sacrifice in that David uh, paid for the land himself and, and built the altar and, and gave the sacrifice, but I want you to notice as well in verse 26 that David's sacrifice was answered. Look with me at verse number 26, and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offering and peace offerings and called upon the Lord, and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burning offering. God answers. Listen, I'm glad that when we mess up, I'm glad that when we make a mistake, I'm glad that when we sin and God sends his messenger, by the way, he sent a messenger to David 
Uh, David knew it, of course, because of the punishment, but then he sent Gad, the prophet of God, uh, to come talk to David, and he gave him the steps to correct everything. And I'm glad that when God uh, sends somebody in our life to correct us and get things straightened out, and if we respond positively, if we open our heart and say, God, you're right and I'm wrong, forgive me, help me get this right, uh, I'm glad that God will hear our prayers and answer our prayers. Listen, he still had a consequence. There was still a consequence for that sin. I mean, a lot of people died in that, and there was still uh, a lot of consequence, but I'm glad that God answers, and I'm glad that God doesn't turn away from us, and I'm glad that God forgives us of our sin, as we read in 1 John 1, 9, and I'm glad that He will uh, fix our, our mistakes, and He will help us. And you can just note this down. I want This is interesting. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, Way down the road afterwards, 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Take a moment and you think about this. What was a horrible mistake? On David's part. What cost Israel a lot of lives. People died because of David's sin. And David repented and David prayed and David offered a sacrifice and got that thing right. And, and at the very spot that, that David offered that sacrifice, the Bible says, prepared to build the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what became, uh, what was a a blot and a bad memory for David became a huge blessing. And God is the only one that I know of that can take our mistakes and all our errors in our life and He can turn them around and make them a blessing when we turn them over to Him. What an amazing God we serve. And I could point to time and time again in the Bible and in real life of, of mistakes and errors and, and uh, gross sin that, that God turned around because they had a sensitive heart. They responded to God, and he turned it around, and he made it for his honor and for his glory. What a wonderful God we serve. What an amazing God that can do that with all our mistakes and with all our errors. If we're, uh, if we're strong in the inner man, we'll listen to God. and We'll say, God, forgive me. Help me. And, and let's get this thing fixed. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Strength in the inner man. We can see David's remembrance that God remembered that and fixed that. And what a blessing. God, I pray that you would help us as Christians to be strong in the inner man. God, that's not to say that we won't mistake make mistakes, we won't have errors, we won't have sin in our life. But God, when we do, help us to recognize it, help us to repent, and, and God, help us to call on you and, and get things straightened out and help us to keep short accounts with you and not to stray far. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person that's here this morning. And Father, if there's one that does not know you, I pray that you would speak to their heart. Show them their need for salvation. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we, your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and we'll just have a short hymn of invitation.
Maybe God spoke into your heart this morning. Maybe it's something on the inside that nobody else can see, nobody else knows. You don't have to confess it to me. You can confess it to God. Maybe it's just something between